0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 31, The Joy of Movement. There are very few authors for which when they come out with a new book, I instantly buy it. But Kelly McGonigal is one of those authors. Kelly is the acclaimed author of what I consider to be three of the best productivity books in existence. Uh, The Willpower Instinct, The Upside of Stress, and now The Joy of Movement. Uh, On top of these books, she's a lecturer at Stanford University and delivered the TED Talk, How to Make Stress Your Friend, which according to her is possible to do. Uh, And at the time of recording, that has over 30 million views pretty impressive her books have sold millions of copies around the world and above all that stuff she's just a, a really nice good down-to-earth person who happens to be one of the most uh, the the foremost experts on willpower stress and physical activity so it is with great excitement great joy even that i get to welcome to the show the one the only kelly mcgonigal welcome
1: Thank you. And I gotta say, I, it's so funny to hear you say that you consider my books productivity books because I, it it made me while you were doing the rest of the intro, I was thinking, wow, what does that really mean? Because I often think of my books, you know, I think about pain that people have, uh, you know, something that people are really struggling with, that's creating a lot of suffering or obstacles. And uh, like, how can I relieve that pain for people and then I was thinking, well, what, what does productivity really mean? And I guess I really do believe that the greatest source of, of joy in life is, is feeling like you are of some value in the world, that you are contributing, mm. that you are making a difference, that you are moving in the direction of, of meaningful goals um, and connected to, to roles and relationships that matter. And I guess that kind of is what productivity is. Yeah. So, so I'm going to reframe myself here. I, maybe I'm a productivity <laughs> expert.
0: Maybe you're an expert on a lot of a lot of things. Uh, yeah, the, the way I see it is productivity is just about intention. You know, we set uh, off to accomplish certain things, and some things get in the way of that accomplishment, and other things support it. And definitely the things you write about. You know, the movement, the the latest one, having the willpower to accomplish what's important to us. Another one, uh, dealing with and, and overcoming the stress of. Uh, the the work that we have the lives that we have that that might be an interesting place to start even I'm I'm curious you know first of all before we dig into this uh, the new book the joy of movement which which I loved um, I read it in two days and I think you know if you're listening to the podcast. Pick up this book, whether it's an audio book or a physical book, whichever format you narrate the audio. Uh, but I'm curious, you have such a, a a repertoire of things that you talk about. I'm curious how you're uh, holding up right now, having written so much about stress in the past and giving uh, given we're going through such a stressful time right now.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. This is not a particularly difficult time for me compared to you know, some of the the folks that I know who are dealing either with extreme levels of stress and fear around the coronavirus or people who are highly involved right now in criminal justice and social justice reform. Um, For me, this is just, it's a time of being disconnected from the social interactions that are really important for my mental health. I'm particularly teaching group movement um, experiences and, and movement classes so it's challenging but it's not challenging in the way of say you know like a, a period of personal depression or grief um, and so it's a it's an interesting thing for me because I'm spending a lot of my time now trying to support people you know for whom this is actually significantly more difficult than their day to day lives um, yeah. whereas I feel like you know when it comes to to stress there's certain forms of stress that that almost I find easier to deal with because they are collective human struggles as opposed to really isolating problems, like something that I did wrong. You know, if I felt like I let down people I care about, um, or if I feel like, you know, I'm going through pain that no one else in my life is sharing, there are times in my life where I've been in places like that that were much darker and more difficult. And there's something about... Uh, a stressful situation where there is no way to feel alone in it. It absolutely Mm. reveals the common humanity of what we're dealing with that somehow it's just, it, it makes it more possible for me to draw on the types of positive coping strategies that I need and to, to find a sense of hope and courage. Um, So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic for me. I know that, that this is not It's not the same for everyone right now. And there are people having very different experiences.
0: Yeah. And and I should mention before we go on that, uh, if you click the Amazon link in the show notes for this episode, um, I'll be redirecting all the revenue from every Amazon referral link on my site and in the podcast to to causes of, of social justice, to racial justice, including... Uh, Black lives matter because it's it 's something that is needed so so strongly right now. Uh, you know uh, by the end of this interview, hopefully we can add uh, movement exercise to somebody 's tool, tool belt for uh, for such an anxious time as this. But if you could add one or two extra things to that tool belt, what would you add? What would you recommend that people try out if they 're feeling especially stressed out or anxious right now
1: so when I think about the the sort of easy experiments to try that I've gotten the most positive response from from people all over the world, people who've taken my classes or you know read my books. Um, One, it definitely is movement. And this does not have to mean you start training for a marathon. So during this particular period, um, I've been encouraging people to choose, to create a playlist of songs that make them feel what they want to feel right now. So whatever is the emotional antidote to the worst of your anger or despair or anxiety, um, to, to find songs that express the hope or the personal power or faith or gratitude or love or whatever, excitement, happiness. Um, and then to, to put on a song and move your body in any way that feels congruent with the song, any way that the, the song moves you, whether you're you know shadow boxing or running up and down stairs or dancing in your living room or doing some yoga stretches, and that like l- literally a radio edit, a three minute movement dose that involves music that empowers you or that inspires you is one of the absolute easiest things you can do to boost your mood and give you a, you know, a hit of resilience or hope. Um, and it's personal, right? Because you get to choose the music yeah. and you get to choose the movement. Another thing that I've been using in a lot of my classes, um, I started doing this as a, a homework assignment in the, the classes that I um, developed to help people deepen their compassion and empathy. And um, I started having people listen to a podcast called StoryCorps. And it's just amazing. Mm. Do you know the show or do you know the the concept? So so StoryCorps, they started bringing together people who know each other well, family members or somebody who made a difference in another person's life. Sometimes it's it's people who were strangers, but they had uh, a really incredibly moving experience encounter together. And one of them will interview the other. And usually these stories are just a few minutes long. Um, And the idea is that you hear a human story that often is a, combines some sort of personal pain with some sort of act of generosity or courage or connection. And um, these are stories that really tap into our human capacity for empathy and Mm -hmm. for, for seeing the good in humanity and This is one of the greatest um, sources of personal resilience is in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of protest to continue to be able to see the good in humanity. I mean, there's so much research on this as a sustaining force when things are difficult is you must be able to hold on to your belief that there is something good in your fellow humans um, to not be consumed by despair or only outrage. Um, and StoryCorps is such like, again, it's such an easy way to connect to your ability to feel empathy for strangers and to be inspired by human nature. And again, what's great about StoryCorps is they're all like, they're sorted. You can see their pictures, they're sorted by topic. You can be like, oh, wow. I want to hear a story of hope about, and then like, it's all these keywords. So again, you can, you can connect to the type of human that you want to. Anyway, so those are two things I would suggest. Um and uh yeah, you could do that right now.
0: Yeah. Can we pause the interview and just listen to an episode? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding.
1: They're so they're so short too. They're they're literally I I offer them as meditations. I teach people how to practice um compassionate or deep listening and to listen to story core from a place of of really listening to understand and to allow yourself to be moved what, by what you hear about another person's experience.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, a couple of things people can do right away: create that playlist, listen to StoryCorps. It's funny, you know. I've I've noticed my Twitter time going up lately, and we tend to so often gravitate to the negative noise out there for because of our evolution, likely like every bad habit that we have in the modern world. And I've noticed my own mental health get affected by this and that I'm able to connect with other people less deeply, especially now that I'm just kind of in isolation with, with Arden. And it's, yeah, that'll be a nice counterbalance to that.
1: It's a real challenge because I, I mean, you know, now from reading my books, it's not like I'm a positive or optimistic person by nature. Definitely not. <laughs> and uh, I'm not encouraging this kind of bypassing, like let's ignore the suffering in the world. You know, perhaps like you, my attention is constantly drawn to the suffering in the world. Um, yeah. And so I think of this as being that balancing force that allows me to continue to pay attention to things that are upsetting or difficult, to continue to have challenging conversations and self-reflections. And it's um, it's really not about... I'm not going to read the news because it's upsetting. And instead, I'm going to listen to StoryCorps and dance in my living room. It's I dance in my living room and listen to StoryCorps so that I don't have to shut down in the face of Mm. problems I alone can't solve today or where I am not certain of how my actions can make a difference. But I want to try Um, that's and that's the kind of thing we talk about, actually, in the compassion training is how to how to sustain your efforts um, rather than sort of be overcome by distress.
0: So moving to the story behind the joy of movement, and this might uh, also come as a surprise to some listeners uh, because so many people are familiar with your work, but you write in the book about how group exercise helped you out with your own uh, social anxieties and your tendency to isolate during more stressful times. And I feel like... We're the same way in this regard. Only I probably eat a lot more butter chicken than you do in stressful situations. So I'm curious in your research process for this book, um, you know, adding this 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 tool uh, to to people's tool toolkits um, of movement. Uh, what were a few of the more surprising things you discovered with how exercise helps things like anxiety and depression? I'm also curious how this research converges with what you found in your own personal journey?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that surprised me the most is completely consistent with my experience, but I never really, I hadn't really thought about this, which is that, um, as you said, my my default temperament is shy, sensitive, is what my parents called me when I was young because I was scared of absolutely everything. Um, socially anxious, generally anxious, <laughs> And yeah. um, I found very early on in life that movement made me a better, braver version of myself, that after exercising, it was like a, it was a pretty powerful reset. Um, I did not understand that that things like the runner's high, and by the way, I don't run, but the runner's high, what I mean is changes that reliably happen in your brain when you are um, exerting yourself for 20 minutes or more at a moderate level. So I tend to do it by things like Dancing and kickboxing and flow yoga. Um, But you can definitely do it while running. But that those brain changes are reliably increasing brain chemicals whose primary function is not to make you feel good, but to make you braver and help you connect with others. Um, Some of those brain chemicals are endocannabinoids, which is what cannabis mimics, but the way that they're affected by exercise is a little bit different than, say, taking cannabis. Um, that when endocannabinoid levels are higher because you have been running for 20 minutes or dancing for 20 minutes, they make your, so they reduce fear and anxiety. Um, Hmm. They also um, really promote social, positive social contact and engagement, even at the level of things like making eye contact less intimidating and more rewarding, making physical touch more rewarding, like a hug or a high five they increase the warm glow that you get from cooperating with other people or from having a conversation with other people. And I have found that experience so much in my life, first by the fact that um, when I started taking group fitness classes, that people there seemed to like me more than (laughs) in other settings. Like, I don't know, I guess I was a different version of myself there. And then when I started teaching movement classes, I mean, I've never in my life had a situation where... um, I felt so such a sense of belonging. And there's something about moving with other people where everyone is having the same positive effects on their brain chemicals. And there's this added benefit of moving in synchrony with other people that releases endorphins, that creates bonding and trust um, and a sense of community that um, I, it was so much easier to connect with people through movement, through teaching movement. And that completely changed the way I felt about my life, myself in other roles and relationships. Whereas previously... I might've assumed, you know, walking into a room that nobody would, would want to connect with me that, or that if people really knew who I was, that like, that would be like, I had to hide who I really was or people wouldn't accept me. Like that's sort of my default thinking growing up and to have this sudden sense that, oh, you know, maybe people would be interested in connecting. Maybe I have something to offer maybe i can experience real joy and reward rather than only anxiety you know in this kind of social situation and that that the reason i was having that experience is partly because it's literally brain chemistry and that yeah. this is like this is like giving yourself a dose of medicine that makes it easier to connect with other people and all movement works and the best the best movement will just get your heart rate up a little bit and you'll know it's working
0: yeah it's very easy to tell yeah uh, so so th- this is something that that surprised me about about the book is i thought oh it'll be a book about exercise but you focus a lot on group movement, moving as uh, especially a synchronous group with other people, uh, how would you compare the benefits to group exercise to working out just solo, throwing around some weights at the gym or going for a run, maybe on your lunch break? Uh, you, You talked a little bit about them just now, but I'm curious... How it seems like the benefits are stronger to group exercise. Would you say that's the case or are they just different?
1: That is the case for everything other than um, the chapter I write about, green exercise. Um, yeah. there is seems to be something very special about moving in nature. Um, and it, it may be the case that moving alone in nature could be even more powerful than moving in a group in nature. I've never seen research on this, but based on my understanding of how Exercising outdoors affects your brain very similar to meditation. Um, it's possible that you could get even more benefits when you're, you know, on a hike on your own or swimming on your own, because it allows you to go so deeply into that state of mm. of mindfulness and meditation. Um, but for almost everything else, you know, it does seem like moving in community, and that doesn't necessarily mean every workout but that there's something about your movement experience that connects you to a community that you care about. So, you know, for example, the chapter I write about the ultra endurance athletes, um, they're spending a lot of time training and in races on their own, you know, in the wilderness. And also um, almost to, to to an absolute every person I talked to the most important part of their experience was being helped by other people and being able to help other people. And I saw that in every community, you know, communities, of powerlifting communities, running communities, um, rowing communities, yoga communities, that whatever the form of movement was, when I asked people to tell me, why is this meaningful to you? Almost everybody told me stories about how they had felt supported by their community or seen by their community, that mm. people they moved with sort of valued a part of them that maybe other people didn't. Like being badass when you're throwing heavy things around, um that and 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 having the chance to support and connect with others it's so it's so satisfying because you know when you start a book, I mean, you know you, that you don't there's a huge research process. I would never write yeah. a book thinking I know what what I really have to offer people without years of research, and this particular book, I could not be more pleased that the single takeaway is the importance of human interdependence, which I had absolutely no idea. I thought I was just writing a book that would help people experience more joy and maybe mental resilience through movement um, rather than thinking of exercise as something you have to do to fix your body or you know punish yourself for enjoying life. Um, and instead, I just heard story after story and then study after study that there's something about physical activity that allows us to experience and celebrate how much human beings need one another and to have the joy of of having both your vulnerabilities and your strengths appreciated and celebrated i i see it now but um that was a huge surprise that that it wasn't just me that this is what people are experiencing people who love movement
0: yeah for those benefits so now it's hard to work out with other people in a in a room when you kind of weed out, I'd imagine there's a bunch of different benefits that we get from that that group mentality. Would you say that we experience at least some of them if we're exercising with a group over Zoom? Or does it really have to be in person?
1: So uh, it doesn't have to be in person. In fact, there's even one study I snuck in the book that got published like right near where I had to finalize it. And I was really surprised by the findings that um, one of the main researchers, Bronwyn Tarr, who has demonstrated that when you move in synchrony with other people, it bonds you, and it releases endorphins that relieve pain and, and boost your mood and help you connect. That the same thing happens when you move with avatars. So it's like you know, like playing Dance Dance Revolution or something like that. They don't even look human exactly, but that you still get the same endorphin rush and you feel connected to them. So that study makes me feel quite confident that um, doing things over Zoom or whatever platform you're using, you are going to get some of those same benefits. I personally don't feel them as profoundly as when I'm in a physical space with people. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's there are other things that we get from movement that until it becomes possible to return, for those of us who love synchronized movement, I mean, you know, so there's something called close clustering that may never happen again, which is when the closer you are to other people, when you're moving with them, the, the bigger the endorphin rush and the bigger the bonding. Mm. So that's not a good strategy to use right now. Um, no. But we, there's, still, there's so much. So thinking about how music empowers us and that when you are exercising on your own, how much music can help us feel connected to something bigger than ourselves, that, that music can bring out the emotions that we want to feel, that music literally makes us stronger and helps us endure. Um, so you can really think now, if you're moving on your own, how are you going to amplify that part of the joy of movement there's the the aspect of movement, which is about what a movement means to you. So I typically teach mostly dance classes because when I'm moving with other people, dance is the thing that gives me the strongest sense of joy and community. But now that I have to exercise on my own at home, I have been doing so much kickboxing and so much high intensity interval training and, and more strength training as well. Because when I'm on my own, I've realized that what I get to experience is that, that sort of fighter side of myself, the, the mm-hmm. version of myself who will push until I'm breathless. Um, and I like literally felt what it's like to do more than I believed I could do and to, to say yes and push to that place. Um, that's not something I typically do when I'm teaching dance classes. And I value <laughs> sensing that part of myself now in this period um, of multiple crises. So that's something people can be thinking about doing too to choose forms of movement that mean something to them, that let them experience a part of themselves that they value.
0: Well, one other thing that I took from the book as just being so, so valuable, and you, you touched on it a little bit, is nature. Like uh, You talk about the different kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, settings, situations uh, of movement, such as moving with other people. Uh, but exercise in nature is a part of the book I found especially Uh, fascinating. You write that, and I pulled a quote from the book. You write that, uh, quote, nature flips a switch in the brain to transport you into a different state of mind. Um, And you also write about how something as simple as taking a walk outdoors can contribute to mental health in ways that just walking on a treadmill, for example, cannot. Uh, Could you speak a bit to how nature, or a bit more rather, uh, to, to how nature interacts with the power of movement?
1: Yes, so it's funny because in previous works i've um, explained to people this concept of the default state of the the human brain, yeah, and it wasn't until I was researching this book that I had any idea that nature seems to be like one of the only things you can do besides meditation. so in all my other like programs and books and classes where I'm talking about meditation i'm like meditation, this is how you can you can really slow down or quiet the tendency of your mind to produce inner suffering, whether it's self-criticism, worrying about the future, uh, imagining um, things in the past that you regret, um, imagining that other people are judging you. We all have our own habits of suffering um, and sort of emotional tendencies that, that come with stories. And and often it's highly verbal for people who really struggle with things like anxiety or depression or trauma. Um And that is the default state of the human mind when you're not really focused on anything else, um, is it tends to go into this place of of worry, of time travel, you know, thinking about the past or the future, thinking about our relationships with other people. And it can be, for many people, it's like a trap you get stuck in. It's not always that way, but, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I spend a lot of time around people who are depressed and anxious and recovering from trauma and grief, and they are stuck in a default mode, that is not their friend. So we know that meditation reliably quiets down this part, this, this system of the brain, when you are experienced enough in meditation to, to really have the uh, effect that is intended, which if you've ever meditated is not, that's often not people's first experience of meditation. You know, they don't sit down and focus on their breath and discover inner peace, instead, they discover the default mode and they're like, wow, it's even louder now that there's nothing to distract me from it. <laughs> yeah. um, so what's so amazing about nature is that it seems to quiet down the default state immediately without practice, without training. It just does it. There's something about how humans evolved and how the human brain evolves to be a different version of itself when you're in a natural environment where you feel safe. Um, There's certain qualities of the natural environment. So, like, if you threw me into the woods by myself, um, I am not going to feel great inner peace compared to, you know, if you put me maybe in a, you know, next to a pond with a uh, with lots of birdsong. That's going to be my version of this. Um, that it quiets down that default state and it allows people to experience the benefits of meditation immediately. And the the way that I got um, tuned into this research is because. And like so much of the research for this book was just asking people initially, you tell me that you love, you know, to swim in outdoor waters. You tell me that you love to, to run in nature. Tell me about it. And I was surprised that of all of the forms of movement that I was, I was trying to talk, talk to people about, it was exercising outdoors where I, w- I was hearing the most stories about mental health, people who were intensely struggling with things like suicidal thinking depression, trauma, grief, um, who those were the stories I was hearing when people were explaining why they hike in nature or why they swim outdoors or why they, they run outdoors. It was this these reports of this is the only time when I could find some kind of mental peace and that it became a real resource, as well as I always feel like whenever we talk about mental health, I need to jump in with this disclaimer that I'm not one of those people who thinks um, there's anything uh, th- there's anything bad about using every possible resource you can, including therapy yeah. and religion and medication and deep brain stimulation and like everything else that works. So it's not go for a run, please stop taking your antidepressant. it's This is one of those things that can can really be a support for people who are struggling. It's
0: quite a beautiful thing that you write about. And I hadn't put a finger on it until I encountered it uh, in the book, but you know, there's kind of a feeling. So I do a lot of meditation retreats and there's kind of a feeling, an aftertaste of, of the retreat that you carry with you uh, just on a daily basis where you feel more at calm and at ease with what's happening around you. And we just moved about a month ago in, into a new place here. And it, it's in the middle of nature almost, you know, we have, we have hiking trails near us. And so I start most mornings, I make a cup of tea and I head out on the trail and just kind of soak in the the surroundings, the greenery, the water, uh, the birds chirping. I wish there was a little pond in there that, that I could kind of sit by and, and have the tea at, but the the benefits, it, it, like the, the the benefits to that nature walk, are kind of like a sh- almost a shortcut to some. Uh, of the benefits of that meditation practice i found. And it, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's impossible to describe in words. It's kind of like you're breathing in with more than just your lungs almost. You're kind of breathing in with every part of you um, in, in the moment.
1: It's so interesting. When I teach people walking meditation, that's exactly the language that I use. I say, really? I want you to imagine that you can breathe through your ears. And I want you to listen to the sounds in silence as if you're breathing through your ears. And then I Ask people to imagine that they could breathe through the skin of the whole body, and to imagine that you could breathe in the feeling of sun on your skin or wind on Mm. your skin. There is that's it's such a beautiful idea because when you breathe, you're connecting to something, but you're also not you're not you don't have to manipulate it. It's such a natural process of receiving and letting go. And uh, when you have that experience of being able to breathe with the sense of ease of welcoming and letting go it allows you to develop a quality of attention that has that same quality of taking in, welcoming, and also letting go. Um, that is can be quite difficult to, to find that way of relating to your thoughts or to your sensations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, letting go and kind of letting in. Now, All this is great, you know, all these benefits, but motivation is something that I want to chat with you about as well. Um, You know, you write about how people for whom exercise doesn't stick. um, You write, quote, they just haven't exposed themselves to the dose type or community that would transform them into uh, an exercise person. Um, So my question for you is, what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast they're saying, oh, this is great. If only, if only, if only whatever, if only I had time, if only I had the energy, if only I, I could you know, feel less guilty about moving or getting out or spending time away uh, from my kids, my family. Um, for somebody that's kind of struggling to start, uh, an exercise ritual? Because this is great for somebody that's already going. <laughs> it, it might serve as fodder to keep going with it. What would you say to somebody that's trying to get started, trying to find the right type for them?
1: It, it really depends on what that obstacle barrier is. I mean, you described a few, and I could list uh, a lot more <laughs> that I know can yeah. be huge barriers. I mean, it's the one that stood out that you were saying people who feel almost guilty about spending time movement moving, You know, I was just having a conversation with a family member who I cannot be physically close to because of what's happening right now. And they are having such challenges with self-care and maintenance because they do not have the capacity to lift anything or Mm. their their physical function is declined to the point that um, it's... The, the ability to move your body and maintain your capacity to be engaged with life through your body is such a gift to the people who care about you. You know that I've heard from so many people who feel like it's selfish or self-indulgent to do any form of exercise. And I, right now I'm really experiencing that pain of, "I wish my loved one had been able to find some, some reason to move or exercise. Um, it would have been a gift to me and to everyone else who cares about them, who can't help them in this time. So I, that's, you know, the, the idea that it's selfish or self-indulgent is really, if you think about movement as something that allows you to engage more fully in life, that gives you access to your capacity to connect with others, to do things that are difficult but meaningful, to experience mental resilience, to experience joy, it's, it's almost like it's an obligation that to, to move your body in the same way that you would never starve yourself Um, Anyways, that's so that's one. Um, I also think so much about people who've had negative experiences with movement because of the way fitness and exercise is often framed as a way to make your body more acceptable because it's too big or it's not strong enough or you're too old and you want to look younger. Um, So many people have no experience of exercise that's not about body shaming Um, and Mm. that Every time they even, it's so baked into how they have been taught to think about exercise that even if they just try to do something on their own, like dance in the living room, they find themselves judging their bodies or wondering how many calories they're burning. And so a lot of this is, it's a a mindset. So many of these, like just those two, as an example, is about a mindset shift. That if you really, what we're talking about is moving your body in a way that gives you access to human strengths and human joys. And so when I'm encouraging people to get started, don't think about this as a a body project. Um, Whatever body you're in is a body that can experience this. And this is true even with physical disabilities, chronic pain, illnesses, um, that if there's any part of your body that can still move, there's a version that's available to you. Which is one of the reasons why in the book, I, I have so many examples of people who don't fit this stereotype of, you know, somebody who would love to move. Um, But that Mm. you think about what's a joy that I want more of in my life and what's a form of movement that gives me access to that, whether it's being outdoors, whether it's the joy of music, whether it's spending time with your kids and play, um, whether it's mastery and getting better at something that's difficult, that's sometimes called skills thrill in movement. And you could just pick something you want to learn how to do that you don't know how to do. Like, hula hoop. It's so funny for this book. And I was asking people like, is there a movement experience you've had that was deeply meaningful to you? And I got things like learning how to hula hoop, deeply meaningful because they couldn't do it. And they had the experience of themselves as somebody who can learn and grow and do amazing things they thought they'd never be able to do. So, um, I gosh, I could go on and on, but really this is you, you have to think about movement as something that is in and of itself of value and not something you force yourself to do to, you know, reduce your risk of heart disease 10 years from now. Um, and if you start from that mindset, it's going to become, I think, easier to think about where you, where you start to direct your, your energy and attention.
0: Beautiful. And
1: that's there's awesome. no dose that's too small. No dose that's too small. One minute, two minutes, three minutes, whatever. It's all better than nothing.
0: What if I'm just kind of moving my thumbs playing Animal Crossing?
1: Well, compared to doing nothing at all, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, all right. And even, and but you know, and the thing is, so, so last night I mentioned to you that I was teaching um, a webinar for women who are going through breast cancer treatment. And I said, okay, you've got face, fingers, and feet. And a lot of, a, a lot of times with cancer treatment, you lose the capacity to move certain parts of your body with full range of motion. But often you retain the ability to move things like your face, your fingers, and your feet. And the idea is like, trust me, if the only thing you could move were your thumbs, there would be meaningful, um, you know, mudras that you could do with your hands that would help you feel connected to life. If that's the only part of your body you could move, you would be so grateful to be able to do it. So, you know, start where you are, do what you can, and think about using as much of your body as you have the capacity to move. So I would probably get you to do more
0: playing Animal Crossing while doing crunches on an exercise ball or something.
1: Yeah, I'm, well, if that brings you joy, or getting down on the ground and pretending to be animals with your kids—I mean, that could be—you know, there's there's a lot of ways to, or whoever happens to be around. I mean, so you can if yeah. you don't have kids, you can imagine kids. <laughs> That's, that often you yeah. can, it releases a kind of playfulness and creativity.
0: In writing these books, uh, I'd imagine you've encountered just countless uh, and uh, my mind is unfortunately on the clock because we keep most episodes to 30 minutes um but i I can't help but asking you this question um you know you've probably encountered countless stats on stress on willpower on movement on on all, all these different ideas um are there any uh, statistics I, i'm just such a da- data geek and i think a lot of our listeners are too are, are there any that stick out as being especially motivating or surprising or interesting to you
1: it's hmm, interesting so
0: or or studies even
1: so i'll i'll give you two over the course of my career that have stood out to me i'm actually not really a stats person it's funny often i have to think to remember to put like numbers <laughs> in cuz i know that like that's that's a thing that i often see people repeat. So one of the, the types of studies I write about in The Joy of Movement are these funny studies where they force people to become more sedentary. And um, it's not that... Some of these studies are with people who, you know, like me, love to exercise every day. Those people, you force them to become sedentary and you're going to need serious mental health intervention because uh, it's, <laughs> there's such a huge uh, negative impact on mood if you're used to exercising regularly but even studies that take moderately active people. So in one study, it was people who were taking on average 8,000 steps a day, which is, um, which is not even that 10,000 know, thing that people are often striving for, and had them try to reduce their daily step count to about the average worldwide, including in the US, which is about 5,000. And if you're slightly above average, like around 8,000, and uh, you manage to reduce your activity levels to the typical American level, around 5,000, um, within a week, you report less meaning in life, less satisfaction in life, more anxiety, wow. trouble sleeping, um, depressed mood. And as soon as you're allowed to restore to what your average was before, you see a, a rebound in mood. And that statistic really stood out to me because it, it made me think that living in a society that literally depresses our our usual capacity and need to move to be active could literally be creating depression and anxiety and sleep problems in our culture, that we could literally have created a world for ourselves that pushes our our inactivity to a statistical average that when when you make people do it, you can see. It makes them depressed and anxious and unhappy. So that, I thought, was pretty, a pretty wow. phenomenal statistic. The other one is, is one that's actually in my TED Talk. And I don't want to oversell like, in any given study. Um, you know, who knows? This is a study. <laughs> it's not the entire world. You're, you can't generalize too much. But I came across a couple of studies that were looking at the benefits of either volunteering or being active in your community and, and how it could reduce the negative effects of major stressful life events like divorce or getting fired, going through a personal crisis um, on your physical and mental health. And I just kept coming across these studies that was pushing it to zero. So it's not like you never get sick or you never, you know, feel bad. But for people who were really involved in their communities or people who volunteer, um, who like basically you could say this is somebody who gives back, that when they go go through a personal crisis, the statistical increased risk of, you know, developing a new health problem or developing more serious mental health problems is zero. And I like you never see zero in studies. And so that that really had a a big impact on me um, because, you know, this is to be transparent. Whenever you find a study that reinforces something that you personally value, (laughs) it lands, it sticks with you. And so that yeah. was a, a study that um, it, it was, a, I came across it around a time in my life where I had not been as actively volunteering. I was, you know, writing checks or making online donations. And I actually made a big effort in my life to get more physically involved with showing up and volunteering. I think it was one of the, the best things I did in my life. Uh, a a mm. personal change that was made based on being uh, impressed by some statistics.
0: Kelly, this has been awesome. If people are uh, interested in your work, the three books that I'd highly, highly recommend: uh, the Willpower Instinct, the Upside of Stress, and now the Joy of Movement. Just buy all three if if you haven't already. Um, You know the best productivity books; they they more than allow you to make up the time that you spend inside of them, and the the energy. That you'll get from the joy of movement, from following the advice inside of it, um, the the resilience you'll get from experiencing the upside of stress book, um, the amount of stamina you'll have after after digging into the willpower instinct, um, I, I think is is worth the price of admission. It'll be it'll be some of the best money you've ever spent. So, uh, we always like to finish up uh, on the podcast with one question, uh, Kelly. To you is what is one. Thing. Um, your, for, well, first of all, I should say thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, but the final question uh, What is one thing you're working on becoming better at right now? <gasps> love
1: that question. Let me tell you why I love that question. So, when uh, this is going to make your podcast too long, feel free to edit it out.
0: That's okay. No, we'll leave it in. People can complain about the length if they want.
1: <laughs> when Shelter in Place hit, um, I lost pretty much every source of engagement with you know, professional and personal life. And I i went into like a little depression, n- not major. But one of the things my husband said to me at that time, so I had no teaching, no travel, no, no yeah. group movement experiences, no social interactions. My husband said, well, Kelly, you know, you've spent a lot of time in different periods over the, the past years where you decided to spend a few months really getting better at something. And it seems like you've never regretted that. So he said, what do you want to get better at if you're going to be sheltering in place and not able to teach or travel or connect, um, for a few months. And I, like almost every day I've thanked him for asking me that because I decided I wanted to get better at, um, mixed martial arts and kickboxing and trained to teach it. And, you know, you've read the book, how, uh, the role that taking classes made for me in, in helping me, um, feel brave, but I've, I've never really taught it not in a serious way. And so I've spent the last couple months training with, you know, heavy bag training and um, training particularly in Muay Thai, which is super aggressive and it's a very different part of my personality. And, uh, and I feel that connecting to what was required to tap into that part of my personality is something that will, will support me in wanting to do things that are difficult and require me to stand up to to fight back to fight for others and so that's something i i'm continuing to work at getting better at
0: love it thank you so much for coming on thank you so finishing up becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode hope you have a wonderful week we'll see you in a couple tuesdays